0: You're listening to the WAMDA Podcast. My name is Triska Hamid and I'm the editor at WAMDA. This wasn't the episode I had planned to launch this month. At the beginning of March, I was still attending events, meeting people face to face, and I had managed to record a podcast discussing the lack of Emirati entrepreneurs. But within days, everything changed. Like millions of other people around the world, we were sent to work from home in a bid to limit the spread of the coronavirus, or COVID-19. When we first wrote about the virus at WAMDA, toward the end of February, everyone we spoke to had adopted a wait-and-see approach. It was, back in the day of trying to avoid handshakes, still seen as a problem that affected China. But containing and fighting an invisible enemy is clearly a long and treacherous process, one that affects the entire world. Today, the global economy is shrinking. Airports have become ghost towns. Businesses are letting go of staff as revenues collapse. Another added issue for the Middle East is the dwindling price of oil. This will further set back both the private and public sector which plans its budgets based on an oil price of $60 a barrel. Right now, there are fears that the price of crude could enter the single digits. This would be a disaster. For those treating the slowdown as a period of hibernation from which everyone will re-emerge and go back to normality, they will be mistaken. Once the number of deaths begin to subside and restrictions are lifted, we will re-emerge to an entirely different landscape, one less keen on globalisation and foreign reliance, higher unemployment, and an emotionally fatigued world population. But humans have short memories. This is not the first pandemic humanity has experienced. Economies are cyclical. Yes, companies will die, but others will thrive and emerge stronger. For this podcast, which was recorded entirely via WhatsApp voice notes, I spoke to three different stakeholders in the entrepreneurship ecosystem in the Middle East, to get a better understanding of who's suffering and who's thriving in the current time. I spoke with Firas Jalbout, who sits on the investment team at WAMDA, to discuss what the investment community in the region is thinking and going through. Firas, if you could start by telling us what the sentiments are that are, that are being felt by the investment community in the Middle East.
1: The investment community, I think, is going through a period of transition. Uh, this is probably what I call a somber time, just in the uh, in the near term. I think uh, it's a time for uh, pause and reflection. A lot of uh, our, our colleagues and friends, and VCs and people who invest, are are spending the time uh, looking through their existing portfolio, working with founders through some of the issues they're having, making sure that they are well capitalized, that their business model is still relevant, and if it's not, ha- how it can be in the future. So I think it's a time for reflection uh, for the most part. Um, I think that uh, there will be the, the, the strongest companies will are the most resilient and, and they will bounce from, from this uh, setback. Um, and the investors will stand by them ultimately, and so I think uh, everybody's taking the time to just kind of uh, assess their own situations and their own portfolios. But that's not to say that we're not seeing uh, people still pitch for uh, new new companies, new business ideas. I mean we will emerge from this and new business models will emerge and uh, they will be successful. And uh, existing business models will will emerge and and also be successful. So I mean, it's a time for uh, just pause over the next couple weeks, uh, just to see how how it all shakes out. But you know, from then on, I think it will be business as usual at some point. And um, investors will come back to the table, come back to the fold and continue to invest uh, like they were before.
0: So are investors, seeing this as an opportunity are they still willing to invest or are they going to pull back?
1: Depending on where you are in your investment cycle, if you have capital to deploy, I think some investors are looking at this as an opportunity. It's probably giving them an opportunity to invest in companies that they they wouldn't have been able to invest in before. And so it really depends on uh, where the investor is situated in terms of their deployment uh, schedule. So we're seeing different investors uh, gear up for uh, deployment. Some investors are being a little bit more cautious, thinking about their runway and their or their own organization how much capital they can deploy over the next 6 to 12 months uh, so again it's a it's a cause uh, for reflection and everybody's just going to take the next uh, few weeks to think about it and come back to the table at some point but initially i think it's it's going to be uh, slower than we had uh, seen in the, in the last few months
0: I mean, from the news perspective, there have been very few um, investment announcements over the past few weeks. Usually the first quarter is very busy, but it's, it's slowing down.
1: I think we'll definitely see a fall in investment for the next couple of months. Uh, at least until the situation shakes out. There are VCs that still have capital that they need to deploy. And so they will definitely invest. Um, And I think that they will invest in the opportunities that are booming. Different areas that we're seeing that are growing, uh, gaming, delivery, e-commerce, all of those uh, remain robust and continue to grow. Now, how that plays out over the next few months, we don't know. But there are opportunities or there will be opportunities that come out of this and VCs will continue to invest in them as they see fit.
0: So which are the sectors or industries that are really experiencing a boom in demand? And is this demand likely to last?
1: I think what we're really starting to see now is several industries do well across the ecosystem. Uh, Any business in e-commerce food delivery, telehealth, gaming, entertainment, um, even education now as schools mandate that uh, kids uh, learn from home. Uh, we're seeing the number of transactions uh, really explode across uh, several of those industries. And I think the trend will, will help the good companies in these industries grow exponentially. Uh, e-commerce, for instance, was already taking away market share from traditional retailers and this has provided a catalyst for their continued growth. You know they say that the uh, the SARS outbreak uh, helped create the e-commerce boom in Asia. Um, and the current crisis will probably do the same for several industries in the region. Another example of of businesses uh, of a business that we see doing quite well is grocery delivery. People are stuck at home; they're forced to use delivery services, and most ha- not having done so before are actually learning that this is a very convenient way to uh, to shop for the products that they use at home. And so they'll probably use it once and then become repeat users. So we think the trend will continue to. Uh, be favorable for these uh, for these virtual businesses.
0: Which is a greater cause for concern for investors? Is it the fall in the oil price or is it the impact of the coronavirus?
1: Investors are concerned with both the impact of coronavirus and the falling oil prices. Uh, the immediate concern now is what's happening with uh, coronavirus, the impact that it's having on consumption and the ripple through effect that it's having uh, throughout not only our economy locally, but pretty much everywhere in the world. Uh, This standstill economy now and what that means for the future of uh, global consumption is yet to be seen. So that is definitely the immediate uh, concern on all investors mind and how we get out of this situation and what severity the pending recession will be globally. Uh, Investors in the region also have to grapple with uh, falling oil prices. Now, that's not an immediate concern, uh, right? Right at this moment, I would think not as much as coronavirus. However, it is something that investors in the region have to think about in the next six to twelve months as new government budgets gets published.
0: Is that unique to the region, or does it apply to global investors as well?
1: Generally, global investors won't be as concerned with falling oil prices as much as we are here in the region. Lower oil prices tend to bring down the cost of manufacturing and are ultimately good for, the, for global consumption and beneficial for the end customer. So it's generally a knock on positive effect on consumption, which is uh, ultimately good for global economies. However, in this instance where oil has had a steep decline as it has, uh, should oil prices remain where they are, uh, there could be a knock on effect on global oil producers and subsequently across the debt and equity markets where a lot of these companies are listed or raise financing, um, which has the markets nervous. Uh, for the time being
0: this part of the world particularly the GCC is very dependent on oil and many of the VCs also rely on that oil wealth for its own capital Um, this is not the case for many VCs around the world so are we likely to see just as much of a slowdown in investment around the world
1: I think it remains to be seen what it means for global VCs investing in startups. It really depends on uh, whether the the VC has recently raised the fund. If they have fresh capital, they will need to deploy it. Uh, Funds uh, operate in cycles, so they will have to invest uh, in a certain amount of companies over a certain time frame. And so they will have the opportunity to invest in companies that are starting uh, from have been started from this dislocation, and that may mean that those companies are kind of, in a sense, future-proof because they, you know, they're started uh, thinking about the problems of today, which you know the companies uh, started two, three, four, five years ago may may not be geared for for the new world that we that we're about to enter. So it really depends on the VC. Have they raised the capital? Do they have the money to deploy? If they've uh, previously raised funds um, and they're just about to raise a new fund, they'll probably find it harder to do so now. Uh, it's not to say that they won't. However, um, you have to imagine that global investors will, will be a, a little bit more cautious with rationing their capital and they'll be more concerned with uh, where they see the opportunities. So if the public markets are dislocated, you might see more uh, investors uh, g- g- fall into the Uh, public markets uh, rather than be uh, tied up in illiquid uh, long-term investments.
0: Now we started off the year on quite a positive and enthusiastic note for entrepreneurship in the Middle East. We saw the launch of a couple of new VCs. Um, Some of the older VCs are entering Their harvesting period, and so we were expecting to see some exits this year. Is that still likely to go ahead? And if it does, will the impact of Corona mean that um, the VCs will struggle?
1: Funds nearing the end of their harvest period will need to liquidate their investments and return capital to investors. Uh, That being said, there are different levers that funds can pull to help them manage the current situation. And most probably, if a fund is coming to the end of their harvest period, they will activate an extension of the fund and that will give them more time to exit their uh, portfolio companies. And that may be to the betterment of the founders and and the whole ecosystem. So if that's what needs to be done, that that is what they they could do that. This is less of a concern if you're an early stage investor, where the value of the company would have been accrued over time and, and generally not right before an exit, uh, so if you're a seed or a Series A investor and you've been holding an investment for three, four, five years, probably you'll see a multiple return on, on that investment that you could then exit at some kind of profit. Um, but this is probably a more of a concern if you're a late stage investor with a shorter holding period looking to make a quicker return on your, on your capital. Generally speaking, if you get stuck in that window where you have to exit, you may not have a good outcome. But again, this can all be managed uh, by professional fund managers that would uh, act accordingly and uh, to the betterment of their uh, investors and portfolio companies over time.
0: Now, one of the sectors that has been hardest hit is the restaurant business throughout the region. One Dubai-based food blogger who goes by the name of food Sheikh decided to launch an initiative to help the restaurants he partnered with Chatfood, a subscription-based online ordering platform for restaurants, which allows customers to order directly from the restaurant and not go through the food aggregators like Uber Eats or Talabads. This means the restaurants keep all the revenues and don't need to pay a commission on every dish. I spoke with Sheikh, who wanted to remain anonymous, about the initiative called Deliver DXB to understand why he launched it and what it means for the restaurants. Hi, Foodshake. Welcome to the Wonder podcast. Just for the benefit of the listeners who don't know who you are, who is Foodshake?
2: Hi, Jessica. Thanks very much for having me and for uh, inviting me onto your show. Um, yeah, for those that, that don't know who or what Foodshake is, uh, I'm I'm Foodshake, and uh, I run a website or a media platform, which is Foodshake.com. And uh, what we do is uh, I write um, anonymous and unbiased restaurant reviews, mainly Dubai centric, but also follow kind of global and local food stories and industry commentary.
0: For some bizarre reason, I was not expecting a British accent.
2: Yeah, British accent. And I missed the days where we only had to worry about Brexit, you know.
0: Simpler times indeed. So I imagine that you are in touch with the restaurant community in in Dubai. How have they taken the uh, news of the forced closures
2: it's an incredibly scary time for them you know th- th- these are these are businesses that run on a you know month to month basis in terms of cash management we we're, we're cash businesses and and when when the revenue streams dry up It doesn't take long for restaurants to run out of cash and, and, and get into a position where they're not able to pay rent or more importantly, pay, pay salaries and, and, and suppliers for their, their raw ingredients and things. Um, so I think there's a lot of worry. There's, there's a lot of, um, fear of the, the unknown. I think the the big issue is that there's no real end date to this. So, nobody can strategize properly because they don't know how long their strategies have to be in place for. And uh, it's a it's a big big concern, but also what the industry is very good at is, I mean, the F&B industry is is a pretty resilient uh, industry, and and I've said this before, they you know we get on the positive process pretty quickly, and we're we're really good at, at trying to find ways on how to kind of still stay connected with with the community and, and and the and the consumers, and the big the big lifeline is is obviously at the moment delivery um, and and takeaway. And this is clearly the strategy that restaurants are, are are taking now, where they are re-engineering their their menus to fit a delivery model. And um, any amount of cash revenue is going to help them pay the most critical of of, of bills and, and and costs, and hopefully give them enough of a of a pulse to be able to trade through this.
0: You're one of the people behind the Deliver DXP initiative. How did that come about and what has been the reaction and the response to it?
2: Yeah so uh, earlier 4th of March I made a plea I suppose on on behalf of uh, the restaurant community to all the third-party delivery aggregators um, who have done such a wonderful job in providing a really great user-friendly delivery experience. Um, However I reached out to them and asked them if they would please consider improving or, you know, reducing or or even waiving the commission charges that they uh, impose on on all their restaurant partners. These charges can be as high as 35% of the value of the order, which means restaurants find it very difficult to make viable profit margins from just delivery uh, orders and a lot of restaurants already have their own online delivery platforms embedded within their website so you can effectively go to a a, directly to a restaurant website and place your order with them directly the advantage of this for the restaurants is of course there's no commission attached to that so all their revenue that that they get from those orders uh, allows them to pay salaries to reinvest in training and effectively become better restaurants So um, myself and the guys at a company called Chatfood, who are the the most amazing tech savvy guys, they offered to build this website that would list any restaurants that had the facility to accept direct online deliveries. And within 48 hours, the Chatfood guys had built this website and uh, we had advertised that restaurants could register If they fit the criteria, and within again within a couple of days we had uh, over 300 restaurants uh, registered. We're now up to about 500 restaurants that are registered online, and they all accept direct ordering. We're we're trying to find ways to encourage the consumer who is at the moment hopefully staying at home and to um, spend a few extra minutes to order directly with the restaurant and allow them a fighting chance to. Survive and be able to trade their way through this crisis.
0: So, have orders picked up, or are people being a bit more careful with their money, considering the impact this is having on the economy?
2: I think it's really early days to uh, to start seeing any sort of trends like that. I, I agree. I think there is going to be some kind of behavioural changes in, in how people consume, and and I can see cooking improving. Um, I can I can see uh, people requiring different types of delivery with you know a lot of homeschooling now um i'm sure you know nutritious kids meals are going to be in high demand and i think restaurants need to really kind of monitor customer feedback and and amend their menus and their offerings to what the consumer needs uh moving forward in terms of kind of the response i mean the only the only response we received so far is quite anecdotal, and, and but still very positive. We've had restaurants that have said that their direct orders have uh, matched those of the number of orders coming in from the, the big aggregators, which is really, really uh, positive. We've had other restaurants say that their direct orders have tripled since the website's been up. Uh, and, and restaurants have had to close because they've had so many uh, different, um, they, they've had so many orders coming through from direct ordering. So these are all really positive feedback and we'd like to run it for, you know, a few more weeks and and, and really to gauge some, some quantitative uh, measurements for that.
0: So how many new restaurants are coming on board roughly every day and is this something that you would extend to other cities in the UAE or potentially across the region? And just to clarify do you make money out of this platform or is this completely pro bono from your end?
2: So the the numbers we're seeing kind of on a daily basis are, are you know 20-30 restaurants a day are, are registering online. We're up to like I said about five, 550 restaurants in total at the moment uh, yeah, there's been a lot of interest from kind of other cities. Abu Dhabi is very keen to to have a, a platform like this, um, and we're exploring that as well. But um, to kind of preempt your your final question, this uh, we 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 all have day jobs that that also need to be maintained, and this is purely a platform that we have put on to help the community. We don't charge for it. There are no contracts, there's no fees, and um, it's all completely complimentary to support the industry at this stage. So we also have to be aware of of how much kind of bandwidth we have in terms of being able to manage something like this. And the bigger it gets, the more time it takes up. And we're happy, we're super happy to provide that time and and, and our resources and and the, the guys at Chat Food. I did an amazing job at, at updating the, the database almost daily to accommodate all that. And the intention—the intention is always to just keep this as a temporary platform to make sure that we we do have something that can support the restaurants when they need it. But once things go back to normal, we all have our own jobs we want to get back to and and crack on with with life as normal. So the intention is is always to just keep it temporary and 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 have it as a as a solution for for today's needs.
0: I think some of the restaurants might be a little bit disappointed with that decision once things go back to normal, especially given the issues that a lot of them have with the commission rate that these food ordering platforms take on every order. Is there a sense that there is no end in sight or is there a sense that things will eventually go back to normal? I mean, are we talking about a few weeks of closure or a few months does anyone have any idea or is everybody just taking it day by day?
2: You're absolutely right. Everyone's just taking it day by day. We're watching kind of globally what this two week isolation period is doing for other countries, but uh, nobody really knows how long to put a strategy in place for. They are taking it day by day. They don't know whether to start, you know, offloading costs or, or keeping them on. Um, it's really, really super difficult to try and navigate through this and that's part of the problem you know is is if you knew what you were dealing with and you knew how long it's going to take you'd be able to to guide yourself through this but going back to your first question you know of course there's an end to this you know there has to be Uh, otherwise uh we're in we're all in big trouble um i think consumer behavior will probably change a little bit after this i think there's going to be a, a bit of a a culling of businesses that that haven't been performing well but for sure there's an end to this um hopefully it's it's sooner rather than later.
0: The restaurant sector is incredibly competitive, particularly in Dubai, and many restaurants don't make it past their first year. And And this is in the best of times. So once the impact of Corona is over and the restrictions are lifted, what sort of restaurant scene will we be left with? Will those that survive be the ones that focus more on cost efficiency or Is it customer loyalty and perhaps quality that will help them through and survive?
2: I think when this is all done and dusted, we will wake to a very different landscape to what we left. I wish it was as simple as survival of the fittest. I wish the restaurants with the most loyal fans and the best food and the most efficient business model would be the ones who survive. But I don't think we can look at it like this. This pandemic has stopped their air supply. Who can hold their breath the longest? If a restaurant doesn't survive this, it's not necessarily a reflection of them as a business. It really isn't. Some of the best, most popular businesses are not going to survive this. Sure, strong business foundations and customer base will give a restaurant a better chance, as will deep pockets and well-funded investors. But even that is no guarantee they will be able to trade through this. I'm not sure what we will be left with, but I know restaurateurs, and they are resilient and passionate and stubborn and creative. And chances are they will rise from the ashes of this pandemic and will rebuild in some form or another.
0: Now, despite the slowdown in the economy and the struggles that many are facing, some businesses are doing well, like e-grocery and edtech. One company that has seen a substantial rise in demand is Yanzo. Yanzo is a personal digital assistant or a concierge service that works through WhatsApp. It was co-founded by Tarek Usman, who is part of WAMDA's fellowship programme, X. Tarek, why don't you start off by explaining what exactly Yanzo is?
3: So Yanzo is your on-demand personal assistant. You send us a WhatsApp message saying, hey guys, I need this to be done and we will do it for you. Literally anything, as long as it's legal, we can do it. So we can take your car to the service, we can do shopping on your behalf, we can take your dog to the vet. Uh, we can buy groceries we get office supplies we book a flight ticket you name it we can do it we make sure that you're focusing on things that really matter while making sure that everything else is being done for you through a simple whatsapp message and how did it all start it all started based on a personal need. The three co-founders we met in 2015 in a graduate program of one of the international banks, Uh, the three of us were doing our graduate studies at the time. So we were working 10 hours a day, and in the evening we used to meet and work on our projects or uh, the graduate studies related material. And on one night, the three of us had personal errands that we really wanted to do, but we didn't have the time to do it because we are focused on stuff that are more important. So I needed to fix my phone screen. Uh, One of my partners needed to take his car to the service. So we thought of why we can't we find a solution that will help us focus on studying and working and growing and making sure that we're developing in life while making sure that the important stuff that we need are also being done but without consuming time because time is the main asset that we had this is the only thing that we can't recover so we wanted to make sure that we're utilizing our time in a very effective way to help us grow and develop so it took us some time to figure out how to operationalize this and uh, the technology that will be needed to make sure that the, the whole business is scalable and one of the main comments or concerns that we had is that we wanted our service to feel as your best friend, we're very, very, very approachable. Uh, that's why we focused, or uh, spent a lot, a lot of time to figure out how are we going to leverage existing texting platforms? Cause this is the most used application on your phone. So, we wanted our clients to feel that we're very reachable, just send us text. You send us WhatsApp. It can't get it can't be easier than this for the client to reach out and ask for support or help.
0: How exactly does this work? What is Yanzo's business model?
3: We're the perfect middleman. Once you reach out to Yanzo with a request, our job is to actually understand very, very clearly what are you looking for. And once we get these aspects clarified, then we start reaching out a huge network of suppliers. We identify internally within Yanzu who are the suppliers who we believe can fulfill this request. So let's say let's, for an example, you're asking for flowers and you're in downtown Dubai. So we're going to reach for the five or 10 flower shops are available within proximity radius to you and who have flowers uh, offers within your budget and will share with them your request. We will wait for 15 to 30 minutes to receive their feedback or their bids. Then once we take these offers, we rank them and share them with you. You decide on which offer you prefer based on your budget, based on the photo attached to give you a sense of what you're actually buying. And that's it. Yanzu will charge you and we will go and communicate, confirm the order to the supplier to actually proceed. So we're not doing it ourselves. We're a perfect middleman. We do a bidding, we do a full procurement platform, similar to whatever you were going to do personally or to any corporate procurement process. We get quotations, we rank them based on the criteria that we have in mind. And then we decide on which one to proceed with. On the other hand, from the client point of view, you don't see all of this operational hassle happening. You don't see all of this bidding or whatever complexity comes with it. You just see a text message saying, yeah, you asked for flowers. This is the offers we have, pick one. Once you decide that you're interested in these offers, then we charge you. And then Yanzu, only then Yanzu takes its commission. Comes within the range of uh, five to 15% from the order value.
0: So why is it better to go through Yanzo instead of going directly to the supplier, you know, directly going to the e-commerce site and buying the things that you need?
3: Using this operational model, we're actually getting you the best deal in town. Without you exerting any effort in it, we are making sure that all suppliers are very aware about what you're looking for and they're bidding and they're competing against each other to make sure that they can provide you with the best deal. Cause suppliers at the end of the day, they're interested in making a sale. They're interested in doing revenue. And this is how they'll compete against each other on quality price and whatever different aspect that you have, maybe delivery time or whatever criteria that you have mentioned in your request as a priority.
0: And what has been the response so far since you launched? See, uh, Yenzo has been
3: there for the last 18 months and we've been growing at a very healthy rate of 15% month on month organically. We have a very, very good set of customers who are with a high retention rate.
0: So, you're one of the few businesses that has seen a rise in demand as a result of the coronavirus?
3: Yeah, the corona situation is very, very, very dynamic and dramatic as well. So since the beginning of March, we have seen a surge of 60% growth in the number of requests coming to Yanzo. And this figure is, is still increasing. So within the next few days, I'll come back with a higher figure than that.
0: What are the typical things that people request through Yanzo? And has that changed at all with the coronavirus?
3: Yeah, see a typical order for Yanzo is a customer will send us text saying, Hey guys, I need that. And this ranges from goes from an iPhone to a perfume, to a car spare part to take my car to the service. So 60% of our orders are retail driven. So it would be, it will end up buying a product and 30% are services. These are the main two type of orders that are driving the business right now with the change in the situation so now most of the orders i would say 90 percent, are now retail driven because services which means human interaction this is being reduced so services would be take my car to the service take my dog to the vet i need the handyman install furniture for me all of these are services that have been ordered or requested through yanzo before these are now not the main type of orders that, that we're getting. We're mainly getting retail orders. I need this item, but I can't go out, so can you get it done for me?
0: So what items in particular uh, has demand grown for as a result of the isolation and the quarantine?
3: So yeah, with that change in the situation, so uh, we're seeing a surge in gym equipments, home gym equipments, given the fact that all gym, gyms and workout places are now shut down. So we're seeing a very high surge in demand on these items, followed by board games, followed by groceries and medicine. These are the top four requested items that we're getting on a daily basis, I would say it's in the beginning of March.
0: The UAE government decreed recently that all unnecessary shops and malls had to be shut down. What impact has that had?
3: we were definitely very very concerned with the fact that malls are shutting down uh, it will definitely impact business we do understand and we from the health the health perspective out of it and we definitely support it uh, not to spread the virus to make sure that the situation is easing down but we wanted to make sure that we're able to fulfill our customers requirements to make sure that the promise that life will keep going on is still there still valid so As usual, we went to our suppliers. We have a very strong relationship with our suppliers. We had this conversation with them. And throughout this conversation, you feel the pain. For us, we're losing some orders. For them, it's a complete shutdown of business. That's huge. It's a big impact on their business and their personal lives. So they were very, very keen to find a solution with us. It's not only us, it's the relationship, making sure that the ecosystem is still functioning so uh, some of the suppliers still have access to the storage room in the mall some of the suppliers have uh, storage areas outside the mall they have their own warehouses some of the suppliers have other branches and more uh, outside the malls and that will not be impacted by the shutdown so these are the solutions that we reached and most of them were, were still able to fulfill orders through the relationship that we're having so we as a customer you will not be able to go and buy an item from specific shop in the mall, but through Yanzu, there is a very high probability that we will be able to get it done.
0: Has it had any kind of impact on your business model itself or your operations in any way?
3: So our functionality, our operational model, our business model is still exactly the same. What changed with the situation is that we're serving a different purpose. Initially, we were there to help our customers to make more out of their time and to focus on what really matters. Now we're helping our customers to make sure that their life's still going on. Nothing is really stopping or nothing is really being impacted because of working from home or social distancing and and which are very very important we need everyone needs to make sure that they're safe at this moment but life will not stop people need to get things done you your life will not stop for two or three weeks because you can't go out so jenzo is there to help you to get things done and on the other hand our suppliers now they need us more than ever we're helping them to keep the business going on while making sure that they are safe so these suppliers need to operate, they need to generate revenue, they have their commitments, they have their salaries, and if they're not having any footfall in their tours, no one is coming to shop or place an order. We're the only channel for many of our suppliers to make sales and to generate revenue.
0: Earlier on in this episode, we discussed the slowdown of investments. Is Yanzo looking to raise funding?
3: Yes, we are uh, looking for investments. We're now doing our first round. We're raising our first round of investment. As I told you, we have been operational for more than 18 months. We've been, we have double digit growth rate, we're revenue generating. We have a very good database of customers and suppliers. We are self-funded. So the three co-founders, the three partners were not able to quit our nine to six job because we are self-funding the business and we wanted to make sure that we're testing every single aspect of the business and the the business model the operational model the customer acquisition plan our unit economics we wanted to make sure that everything is completely solid and we tested all worst case scenarios to make sure that this business is scalable and we're we're really capable of taking it to the next level once we reach this level of confidence and uh, knowledge because we're creating something new. Uh, We have to be very honest with ourselves and be be very realistic. Uh, We know what we're doing, but it is a new industry. It is a new business model. So no one actually knows the right thing to do. It is the fact that we're testing and trying and all of these test rounds have been done in the last 18 months. So now we know exactly what's going to work. So we're not here to test anymore, we're here to grow. This is the next phase for us. And now we're in the phase to actually get things done.
0: Thanks to all of our guests and thanks to you for listening. You can listen to all of our podcasts on WAMDA.com or through your podcast provider. Remember, stay home and stay safe.